Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. So if we were to rank the top Christian cliches, I'm pretty sure that in the top 10 would be the phrase, doing life together. We all know we use it, we overuse it. It's right up there with let go and let God, and uh, God won't give you more than you can handle. Oh, really? No, he does it all the time. And uh, of course, one of my favorites, the infamous hedge of protection. But, but doing life together is right up there with it. But just because something is overused and just because something's become a cliche doesn't mean that it's not true uh, and that it's not still valuable. After all, I will never grow tired of saying that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I'll never tire of that statement because it's true. And the idea of doing life together is so important The theological richness of together demands that in practice it be more than just a cliche, more than a catchphrase to promote institutional preservation, more than just a way to scratch a universal human itch, although it is all of those things. Together is at the very core of the Christian message. In fact, you could argue that it is the central thread in all of the Bible. That ever since Genesis 3, this is what every human heart is longing for. To know and be known. This idea of togetherness is at the heart of the story of redemption. And perhaps the greatest loss of the fall of humanity into sin is that sin disrupted the natural and beautiful and life-giving rhythms and patterns of togetherness that humans were created to enjoy with God and with one another. It's been disrupted. And so therefore, our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, is more difficult than it's supposed to be. Even the people closest to us, we have trouble being our honest and true selves. But all of Scripture points to the heart and the plan of God to restore this communion that we once enjoyed before the fall. The wholeness, the richness of being deeply known and celebrated and enjoyed. We long for this sense of together. Now, when we think of loneliness, we often probably think of more extreme examples of loneliness. The type of loneliness that would be probably self-evident to a person. But here's the tricky part with loneliness. You can be very active. You can be very involved. You can be around a lot of people a lot of the time and still be lonely. Sometimes we don't even realize how lonely we are until we begin to think about it deeply. According to self-reported studies, levels of loneliness are very high right now and they're climbing. And again, here's the myth. We would think that, oh, okay, the pandemic was the worst of it. That was the low moment. And after that, things have gotten better, but they haven't. Because again, you can be active and around people and still very lonely. Because it's hard. It's hard to be in deep relationship 
with other people. It's hard to be vulnerable. And the Bible not only predicts and diagnoses this deep consequence of sin, but it also gives us the remedy. The remedy, the solution, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, is to create a different kind of community. To be a part of a kingdom that is separate from the rest of the world and yet lives in and among and challenges the world and its way of relating to one another. We're to create a kind of counter-community, a kingdom where people live differently according to different standards, where we deny the flesh, the ways of life driven by sin, and we live according to the power of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a recreation, a reconstruction of togetherness as God described it. A different way of being human, together in community with other broken human beings. This is the wildly audacious project of the church. This is what we are called to be, the living, breathing body of Christ. And we know, trust me, we know this project will never be fully realized this side of heaven. We're aware of the deep gap between our current reality and what we're about to read and and study and look at as the vision that God has for our community. But it is still worth giving our lives to. It is still worth striving that our lives would more and more become on earth as it is in heaven. That we would be able to create a community that reflects the values of our king more and more to give testimony to what it truly means to be together. Together is a vision of wholeness and of healing. What relationships could look like if we experience the kingdom of God. And so our desire in this sermon series is to grow in our passion for an understanding of biblical community. We're going to be focusing specifically on our corporate experience of worship together. And we're going to talk about different aspects of our corporate worship and how we can be more intentional in those and live into the rich meaningfulness behind those practices. So we're beginning this morning with a fairly well-known passage, Acts chapter 2. I would guess you've been around church long that you've probably heard several sermons on this passage. And so my challenge today is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, this familiar text would still touch our hearts in a new and fresh way. Because, you see, God's word is the same, but our circumstances are always changing, aren't they? And so we can hear God's word, maybe one a piece of it that is very familiar to us. And if we have a heart that's open, if we have eyes to see, we'll see it differently and there'll be new applications of the truth that was already there. So let's briefly review the events that lead up to this moment of the start of the church in Acts chapter 2. So first of all, Christ died and rose again. Kind of a big deal, right? And that is what started the church ultimately. So Jesus appeared to many of his disciples and also some other people as well, and he gave them instructions, he gave them encouragement, and part of his instruction was to go and wait. Wait. Wait for power to come. Wait for a pouring of the Holy Spirit, an outpouring of God's presence that had been promised hundreds of years before in the prophets that we just studied a few weeks ago. God promised that he would come in a special way and pour out his spirit upon the church. And that day came. It was called Pentecost. And some of the events of that day are recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. And it tells us that Peter, 
a disciple and an early leader in the church. He preached an incredible gospel sermon that day and 3,000 people were saved. That's a good day at church. I'm still waiting for that day, right? Praying for that day. That's a good day. And from that point forward, the church continued to grow daily. And so I think it's important as we look at these essential components of, of what the church could look like, that we remember that, that, that as there is work for us to do and these values for us to live into, let's not forget for a moment that the church, first and foremost, is an act of God based on a supernatural event in history. Really, two, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, but then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That, that all that we live into and how we bring ourselves to this practice, it is all based on a work that God has done and is doing. It is His work in us. It is empowered by His Holy Spirit. And yet, we're called to live into this vision that God has for His people. And so today I want us to walk through how this passage uh, embodies for us our seven values as a church. You see them on the video every Sunday. It's the same, so you've probably come to ignore them. If you come in our east entrance of the building, it's posted on the wall. It's on our website. But some of you are relatively new. And so I hope this morning this is either a reminder, refresher of our values and, and what they're supposed to look like, or it would be an introduction to you possibly as well. And as we think about these values, I want to encourage you this morning, and I want to challenge you not to think about these seven values like a checklist that you have to get done. Now, the reason I tell you that is because that's what I find myself doing, right? I'm a list guy. I'm a, I like to get things done. But this, this list of values this is not a, a checklist that you're trying to check off all seven and say, okay, did that. I'm done. I'm finished. It's never a finished thing. So I want to give you a different image. And uh, metaphors are, they're not always my strongest department. So we'll see how this lands. A couple people in first service were jamming with me. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you're an artist. Now, I realize that's a stretch for those of us that can't draw stick figures very well. But let's just, just go with me. Just pretend that you're an artist, right? And you have your different tools. And I want us to think about these seven values like seven different colors of paint, that work together. Each one is important. Each one brings different clarity and different shade, different nuance to the canvas. And some days and some seasons, our painting is going to look more heavily colored by certain colors than others. And that's okay. The, The goal is not in these seven values that every day we would sort of perfectly come up into alignment with each one of these seven values and give them all exactly 17.5 minutes of our day. Look, it's not, it's not that much of a science. Think of it as an art. That together these values, which are informed biblically, together they would be like paints that God is using and coming alongside us and using our lives to paint beautiful portraits of what his kingdom looks like. The values are the different colors that we have to work with. So think of them like a painting. And paintings take time. Paintings add clarity over time. Paintings get more detailed with time. So the first value is that a healthy church is worship-centered. It says in verse 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So most scholars agree that this expression here, as it's constructed in the original language, almost certainly refers to the act of communion. 
the breaking of bread. Now, later in the passage, it says they broke bread in their homes. That's more of an informal meal. And we know that we need both. We need formal gatherings and informal gatherings. We need large group gatherings and smaller group gatherings. We need more structured environments and more organic work as well. This is the pattern and practice of the church. But it begins with a regular habit of gathering together for corporate worship, which in this case with the Lord's Supper, communion at the center of their practice. This is why we say that our value of being worship-centered is demonstrated by placing personal and corporate communion with God at the center of life. It's both. We have, we have a personal practice of worship, and then we also have a sense of togetherness. And here's the thing. There are some people who will say, you know what, my relationship with God is just personal. It's just between me and God. Here's my challenge to that. That's not the picture that we get in the New Testament. That's not faith in Jesus Christ. There's a huge component that is missing that is, it is, it is anemic. You cannot have a robust faith in God, the God of the Bible, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who came in the flesh, Jesus Christ. You cannot have faith in him apart from the community of God's people. It's the way it works. Our faith cannot be expressed outside of this context of togetherness. Luke tells us the early believers experienced both joy and awe at what God was doing among them. When they gathered together, not only they, but the community, it says all of the people were amazed by what God was doing among them. So I want to ask you this question. Does this characterize your worship? Joy? Awe? Wonder? Amazement? Expectation? Do you come to church expecting that something might happen in your heart? Do you come expecting to have a meaningful encounter with other brothers and sisters who may have had a great week or may have had a really terrible week? Do you come expecting a special encounter with the living God whenever you gather together with God's people? There's this funny thing that Christians will pray, and I know sometimes I pick on people and their language, so I'm, not, I'm trying to not nitpick here too much. But I'll hear people often pray when they're with other Christians, and they'll say, God, we invite you into this place. And I, like, I know the heart behind that. But here's the thing. I'm not afraid that God's not going to show up. He is. His word says, if, if you gather... In my name, as brothers and sisters in Christ, I will be there. You see, God, he, he always shows up. Now, we know, that, we know that God is everywhere all the time, right? There's this universal presence that God is everywhere. But then there's also a special presence that God promises whenever his people gather. So the question is not whether God will show up, but the question is, will I show up? And not just physically, that's a good starting place, Right? you got to be here. But you can be here and not really be here. We all know it. We've done it. I've done it. And so God will show up. So I think, I think if I can interpret, I think when we say, God, would you show up? I think what we're actually saying is, would we be aware of your presence? If we're going to nuance that prayer a little bit. God, would we show up so that we actually bring ourselves, all of ourselves before you in worship? 
We bring our hearts before you to be challenged. We bring our discouragements to receive your hope. We bring our failings to receive your correction. We bring ourselves truly before God in worship. What would it look like if we all did that on a consistent basis? It looks like revival. A healthy church is also Bible-grounded. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching as well as fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. This value is demonstrated by grounding everything we believe, say, and do on God's word. In order to do this, our lives have to be saturated with the word. Now, we have an advantage in our context that that many believers down through the ages have not all had. I assume a very high rate of literacy among this group. I assume that many of us know how to read, if not all of us. And we also have the Bible in our language. This hasn't been true for every Christian. So we have an advantage. We can read God's word for ourselves. And we're trying to do that, right? Continue to read with us or dive on in. We're going to read the New Testament this fall. But there's also something important about hearing the word of God preached to us about hearing the word of God in the context of a small group and hearing how other people are processing and applying that there's something important about having Christian friends who can encourage and challenge and even rebuke us in love there's something important about hearing God's word from other people because if we only read it for ourselves but we never place ourselves in context where we're hearing it from other people then we just get in our own little world And we start interpreting the Bible really weirdly because it's only through our experience and what we read. So I'm saying is we need both. We need to read the word for ourselves, but we also need to hear it preached and shared with us. So again, your action step here is, one possibility is to read the New Testament with us this year. And you can work ahead, by the way. It starts on Friday. So if you know you're going to get behind, you can start this afternoon. Just get at it. A healthy church is also prayer-saturated. So they devoted themselves to all of these things, and they devoted themselves to prayer. We find many examples in the New Testament, in particular in the book of Acts, of the church praying. And not just praying as an individual, which is important, but praying together with other believers. There's something powerful about praying with other people. There's there's an increased joy. There's an increased uh, presence. There's just something special when we pray together with other believers. Let me tell you, one of my favorite things is hearing other people pray. I love it. I love at our monthly elders meetings when we just open it up, and I love hearing our elders pray. Pray for you. Pray for our church. Pray for our city. Pray for the, for wisdom, for direction, for God's provision. I love it. I love going to small group and hearing people that I love and care about pray. Even seemingly simple prayers. I love, I love hearing people pray because you get a sense of their heart and there's something special and powerful about praying together. A healthy church is a praying church. Pastor Shana is going to preach about that even more next week, specifically prayer in the context of corporate worship and praying together with other believers and how God sends his power in a special way through that. So my potential action step for you in this one is is to encourage you to go and receive prayer after service. 
We offer it. We have people who are willing and available, but it's a two-way thing. You've got to avail yourself to that. And for us to become a prayer-saturated church and for the culture of our church to change, we've got to be willing to pray together with other believers, to have people pray for us. And it's tremendously encouraging. It's an act of faith. It's an act of trust to simply say, God, I believe that prayer matters enough that I'm going to take the time to go and to offer up what I have and have somebody pray for me. So maybe you just need to be thinking about it ahead of time. I know how that is. Like people ask you, what, what can I pray for you about? And I'm thinking, what can you not? But, you know, it's hard to come up with things sometimes. You know, you're at small group and it's like, gosh, you just can't come up with it. Well, maybe you need to prepare ahead of time. Maybe at some point here in the next couple of weeks, at some point this fall, just ask God, what would it be? What would I go and receive prayer for? And plan ahead of time that you're going to go and that you're gonna, what you're going to ask for. And maybe that would help you be more comfortable if you just had that plan to go do that. So I encourage you to go as we build this culture of prayer saturation. A healthy church is also generosity-filled. Verse 44, it says, All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Extraordinary sharing of resources and mercy ministry marked the early Christian church. Now, some people down through the ages have misinterpreted this passage and similar ones in Acts. And they said, well, it sounds a lot like communism to me. So they just sort of kicked that out and said, you know, okay, we don't have to pay attention to that. And they they sort of, they missed that or, uh, you know, we don't really understand that. So we'll just set that aside. And we miss the beauty of what is actually there because it's not talking about communism, but it is talking about biblical communalism. Communalism. A spirit-led, a grace-driven sense that we are bound to one another. We are family in Christ. We are even more closely connected than our biological families. There's something powerful about being a part of the body of Christ. And of course, when we understand that everything that we have is God's, it's not mine, Right? If I think it's mine, I'm just going to hunker down and keep my little piece of the world in control. And maybe if I have a little extra, I'll sprinkle a little out here or there. Right? That's our mentality. But when we understand, no, it's, it's all God's. It's from Him. It belongs to Him. So, of course, if a brother and sister who is part of the family of God has a need and God has given me more than I need, of course I would share it with them. But we have to, we have to practice it. We have to put it, we have to be content right? As the New Testament teaches. You're not going to be generous if you're not content with what you have. That's hard. I'm telling you. In our environment of just, we're just being constantly bombarded with messages that say, you don't have enough. You need, you need just a little bit nicer. If you just had this, then you'd be okay. We're constantly waiting for the next thing. We got to be content. You have to be content if you're going to be a generous person. Generosity fuels the family. So here's a potential action step for you. Set aside some money that you plan to be generous with. You notice the theme here, intentionality, planning. And, and I mean beyond your normal giving, your normal support. Take some of your money and say, you know what? I'm not going to wait till it's an accident. I'm not going to wait to see if extra. I'm going to set aside a portion of my money. For generosity, for the very thing, to just be able to, when I see needs, meet them. Share, give away. 
a plan to intentionally be generous. We know that the people of God are slightly more generous than the average public. That's good. But we ought to be radically more generous when we really understand our stuff and who it belongs to. We ought to be radically more generous. So as you hear me say often, we can't be accountable for all Christians everywhere, but we can say as for this house, what would it look like for us to become a radically generous people? A healthy church is relationship-focused. Verse 46, it says, They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In his book, Life Together, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote this, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength for the believer. Isn't that true? Incomparable joy and strength for the believer. I know some of your stories. I know some of the things that some of you have been through. And I know that without your small group, without your Sunday school class, without the people that you're doing life together, there's that phrase, right? Without those people, you don't know if you'd made it through that season. You don't know. Because this life's hard enough. But at least we can know and have this sense that we are not alone. Having rich, deep community is a lifesaver. It's not just an added benefit. It is part of our worship to be in fellowship. It is part of our mission. After all, you could, you could say the very mission of God is forming the people of God. That is God's mission to create a worshiping community. We're it, right? This is God's plan. Us, together, one day fully together with him. That's the plan. That's the story. Reuniting relationship. This kind of intense loyalty, the the New Testament uses this repeated phrase in many places, and we might call it the one another's in Scripture, right? That describes our commitment to each other. And the one another's are many. It tells us to love one another, to serve one another, to bear with one another, to pray for one another, encourage one another, correct one another, admonish one another. Again, we can only do these things if we're actually with one another, if we are together. Jeff Henderson wrote a a book that our staff has read, and it informed the formation, ultimately, of our mission statement. We're a Christ-centered community for you, for Tulsa, and for the world. And this book, For, right, Know What You're For, Jeff has this little phrase that's really powerful. He says, it's hard to be for someone that you're not with. It takes presence. And after all, that is the strategy, if you will, of God. He came down and took on flesh to be with us. That is how he saved us. He came to be together with us to restore that relationship. And so in this season, I want to encourage you to invest in intentional relationships focused on spiritual growth. To invest in those. Maybe you're already in a a small group that we're now calling a life group. Maybe you're in a life group, but maybe you just haven't going that much. Make the commitment. Re-engage. Maybe you've been showing up, but, but you're like me, and some nights you're tired, and you just don't really share a whole lot. 
to ask God for the grace and the strength to be vulnerable with those people, to find places, to find times where we can really share how it's really going, to invest in those relationships. And finally, a healthy church is gospel-driven and mission-mobilized. I tied the last two together for two reasons. Number one, of course, brevity, because now you can't say I preached a seven-point sermon. It was just six. But also because in the text, they are wrapped and tied together, the idea of being gospel-driven and mission-mobilized. So it says in verse 47, after they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, it said they were praising God and they were enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number daily. Now, in many ways, we could say, well, that that was an extraordinary thing. But I think even still today, how does the church grow? Well, first of all, it says, who did it? The Lord added to their number, right? It's an act of God to change and transformed hearts, change and transform hearts. But, but how does he do it? What is his method? Well, Luke doesn't tell us, but I think that we could read between the lines and say, I think pretty comfortably that he did it then how he does it now. How does he bring people into the church? Through his people, through outreach, through relationships, through evangelism, through being intentional, through being in the community, being for the community, being involved. And that is how he'll do it today. It says they grew in favor with all the people, which means they were a part of the city. They blessed the city. We want it to be true of us. Look, people may not always agree with what we believe, but hopefully at the end of the day, they can't say that we didn't love them and that we didn't care and that we didn't try to make Tulsa a better place because it's the place that God has put us. Get involved in our Ford Tulsa mission. So how are we doing? How is the church doing? People ask me that question sometimes. Other pastors, other contexts, people in the church, people in the community, people ask me that question. How's the church doing? And it's kind of a tricky question because I assume I know what they're asking, which is how many people are showing up and how's your budget doing? That's usually what we mean by how is your church doing? But ultimately, it becomes a personal question. How is the Kirk doing? Well, the question is, how are you doing? Because you're the Kirk. I'm the Kirk. The institution's there, and it's not unimportant. And God uses structures and processes and and institutions. But ultimately, the church is us. So the question of how is the Kirk doing is a question for each of us to ask. How, How am I doing spiritually? And not just me personally, but how am I supporting the spiritual life and vitality of other people sitting in this room and other people who are part of the church? That's how the church gets stronger. That's how the church gets healthier. So are we in meaningful relationships focused on spiritual growth? Is our worship vibrant? Are we bringing ourselves before God? Is our worship God-glorifying? Is it regenerating our joy? And again, we all feel this deep gap between what we read in Acts 2 and the experience that we have. We say, man, we feel far off from that. Look, don't don't beat yourself up over it. Take some time to assess the portraits of your life. 
prayerfully discern are there colors are there are there pieces of this vision are there values that are underrepresented that that you're not living into that may require more emphasis to be intentional to come before god and to know that that the picture is being painted by god slowly a day at a time a brush stroke at a time we just want to make sure that we're utilizing these resources this beautiful array of colors these biblical values that show up all over the place to become this incredible thing called the church to become a counter cultural community to become uh, this place where God is known where we stand in awe of what God has done and he does it through us this is his plan us together let's pray together Father, we thank you for this incredible text and the encouragement that it brings to us, the vision that it paints for us of what it looks like to be your people and to experience your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So God, I pray today that you would be at work by your Holy Spirit. You would reveal to us the gaps and the the missing pieces. God, and that you would help us to live into this incredible vision. That you would would use us to help one another along the way and to provide that support and that encouragement. God, that you would use us to accomplish your incredible mission. That you would make us into a generous people. And God, I pray now that that even as we're going to give of our tithes and our offerings, Lord, that you would have us to give our whole lives as an expression of offering to you, that this would only be the beginning. God, as you have given us so much, that we would give our lives to this beautiful, audacious project, the beautiful, messy body of Christ. God, thank you for the privilege of being a part of it. I pray if there are those that that don't feel a part of this, that, that have not given them themselves over to you, God, that you would speak to them and that you would move them to take the step of faith and to become a part of the people of God through faith in you. God, wherever we find ourselves today, would you help us to trust you more, to give more of ourselves to you? It'll ultimately be for your glory and our good. Amen.